0: There are some who call me Tim. Good afternoon, Valley of the Sun. Tim Jacobs here. Welcome to Life 360 with Tim Jacobs, your one hour Wad with God. Your spiritual Zumba class, what I call the Thigh Master for your soul. We are live here on 1280KXEG, so you can always call in, but you can also listen to us anywhere in the world by going to the station website, 1280KXEG.com, and downloading the app. So if you have not done that yet, you need to do that, so you can always. Carry us with you. I am Tim Jacobs, pastor of Compass Church in the Wild West Valley, Goodyear, Arizona, to be specific. Husband of a beautiful and gracious wife, father of three. I am also a chaplain in the United States Air Force Reserve, and I am recovering still from a CrossFit injury. Happy Super Bowl week, by the way, to all of my friends in Phoenix. It's a great week to be in the valley, isn't it? In fact, it's Super Bowl week, so there's all kinds of stuff going on, and there are blimps flying overhead. Have you noticed the blimps? It reminds me of the TV show Fringe. Remember that when they were in the parallel universe? You always knew they were in the parallel universe because there were the blimps flying overhead. But speaking of parallel universes, I am really excited about what we're going to talk about today, at least in the first half of the show, because we're going to talk about heaven and going there and coming back, or at least supposedly going there and coming back, including near death experiences and all that. So we have that here in the first half of the show. And in the second part of the hour today, uh, we have a conversation with Ryan Bell coming up. Ryan Bell, the pastor turned atheist. So I am extremely excited about speaking with him and talking to him about his journey, what led him out of Christianity and into now a world of atheism. But first, let's talk a little near-death experience, okay? My guest, I'm very privileged and excited to introduce to you today, is the editor of Christianity Today, author of numerous books and articles, a very influential voice in the Christian world, Mark Golly, Mark, how are you doing today? Good, how about you? I'm doing fabulous. thanks so much for coming on the show. We have never met before, but it is a pleasure to meet you and I want to let everyone know right off the bat where they can find more more uh, about you how they can get to know you better and where can they go on on terms of website Twitter anything like that?
1: Well, probably the best thing i mean i have a you know i have a a website the dot com but it's kind of static. So the best thing they can do if they want to find out who I am and what I think would be to go to Christianity Today's website, enter the search box, Mark Galley, and then you'll see a list of articles I've done recently and uh, see if anything's helpful for you.
0: Awesome. And Christianity Today, you guys, that this is a very influential magazine, and I would say to anyone, if you have not gone to the website and if you are not a subscriber, you need to do that because you guys have very relevant, very insightful, uh, very... Uh, it's, it's inspirational stuff, and I think it deals with a lot of hard-hitting cultural issues, and I love how you don't back away from, from things that are going on in the culture. But what really I, the reason I wanted to talk with you is because there was a book that was published back in 2010 called The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven, and that has been the subject of some controversy recently. So Mark Golly, why don't you tell us um, what happened with The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven?
1: Well it was a book uh as I said as you noted published a few years ago that became a, a bestseller and it described the experiences of a of a boy who di- who apparently died and had uh an experience where he he described a heavenly uh environment that he was a part of uh seeing uh, you know long lost relatives and mm-hmm. I think even seeing Jesus, I, I I read the book a long time ago now, um, and he has he's grown up. He has finally gotten to the age where he's been able to say to his dad, who apparently conjoled him into uh, affirming this, that he actually never this never happened to him. Mm-hmm. So a book that was a bestseller and a topic of a hot conversation among many evangelical Christians turns out to be a Fabrication and the publisher, of course, was deeply embarrassed by the revelation. And I don't know what's happening to that family, but I'm sure that that sort of thing. Oh, it sounded like it was a dysfunctional family to begin with. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's even more broken up now.
0: Yes. By the way, on um, 3776 If you would like to call and get in on this conversation, and and this is a pretty legitimate deal that happened. This is a significant problem because as I understand it, the, the boy, he was like seven years old. And then I guess a few years later after the accident, it was, he was seven when he got into the accident. And then he wrote the book along with his father and uh, he's, he's still paralyzed. He has a difficult time speaking. So he, his statement, I guess, was very limited, but basically came out and said that, all of this was a lie, and i got to be honest with you. When you go on Amazon and you look at the book, you and I, you can't get it from Amazon anymore. I think you can only get it from a third party. It's still available yeah. through a third party on Amazon, so they've pulled it. Now Tyndale was the publisher, and I think they've since pulled it. But it's kind of funny, though, because you look at the cover, and it says it says, a true story. And then I just personally, Mark, found it ironic that the author's last name was Malarkey.
1: Just- well, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> That is uh, that is a joke that's been told quite a bit the last few weeks exactly yeah
0: do do you know why the boy came out now and admitted it was false do you have any information on that
1: No we haven't really uh dug into that story um you know one can only imagine that he's he's lived with the lie for such a long time he finally just said enough is enough maybe there was some sort of incident in the family that just made you know, there was a straw that broke the camel's back who knows I'm just glad he was finally able to uh to come out and just say what the truth is. I'm sure it's a huge relief off his his mind. Yeah. Uh you know, it's all even if the truth is uncomfortable and it makes us embarrassed obviously in the long run it leads to a, a you know healthier life and healthier relationships. I'm I'm glad for him that he was able to have the courage to do that.
0: Absolutely, and but you several years ago, back in 2012, you wrote a, an article about this subject that was in, simply entitled "Journeys," and it was a really fascinating article because you just don't simply talk about the the various books, but the issues behind it. And, and the question you asked is, does it matter that people who have had near-heaven experiences are confused theologically, or even in this case, have fabricated the whole thing so long as the good news is preached? So the question I want to ask you is, so it was false, but along the way, certainly people read this, they, they got encouragement from it. Some of them probably have passed away since they've read it, thinking it was true. Mark Golly, was, was, even though it was false, in your mind, is it helpful or not?
1: No, because it was false, it was, it's not helpful. Uh, I would think, uh, I don't know what the state of it. I don't know if the book helped anyone come to faith, uh, but if it did, one can only imagine that uh, it's going to help them to stop believing once they find out it's a lie. Um, what I meant by that statement was, you know, these stories, there's a bunch of stories out there that tell this very similar experience. Don Piper's 90 Minutes and uh, in Heaven uh, came out a little after 2004 when he had that experience. And, uh, and in the previous generation, there were books um, uh, by Raymond Moody uh, mm-hmm. and others who had similar type, you know, near-death experiences. So these books, and they're still coming out, and there's still some on the New York Times bestseller list. And mm-hmm. these books come out, and it's hard to know what uh, that they, what if they have experienced that's true and real and objective. And which is something fabricated in their mind, and which are just plain stories they've made up, like the Todd Burpo book, right? Um, and one of the things I was saying, assuming the person is sincere now, and I think most of the people who have written these books are they something has happened to them that they're trying to describe? Yes. What I find in each of the stories, uh, well, let's put let me back up and say I don't believe all the the stories. Uh, and I come at it. Uh, my training, my, his, my my scholar, my uh, academic training is in history, and a historian has to, when he's reporting on an event, besides looking at newspapers and other things of the time, he, on a lot of incidents, he has to rely on eyewitness accounts, either from diaries or people who wrote it up soon afterwards, and the historian has to make a judgment: Does this eyewitness account seem cogent? Does the person who wrote it seem sane? Does the person seem logical? Does he seem to have his feet on the ground? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we, ha- what we have to do as historians, we have to make that judgment call. There are some witnesses we look, we read their stuff, and go, you know, this guy didn't seem to understand what was going on, or he's he he wrote another book which was a complete lie. So I don't think I can trust him about this account. But there are other people we call we call reliable witnesses. They're people whose the rest of their life is coherent and sane, and when they speak the truth in other situations that we confirm, it mm-hmm. seems to be truthful. So when they witness to an event, we tend to use their account as a trustworthy account. And that's how I approached every one of these books that I had read. And,
0: you and see- to be honest, I
1: didn't use pa Todd Burpo's book in my article, other than to say it was, writ- it was a book that was written, because when I read it, it did not have that sense about it, that uh, this this was a reliable witness here. There was something fishy about it. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just didn't trust it, as opposed to other books, like Don Piper's book. I've met Don Piper, mm-hmm. and even though I was a, I was not a believer in his, his testimony beforehand, after I met him and talked with him, he, again, he struck mm-hmm. me as a reliable witness. Something genuinely happened to him and i had to take that into account i couldn't just dismiss it
0: we're talking with mark golly editor of christianity today about heaven going back to heaven or going to heaven and coming back and living to tell about it basically and the whole subject of near death experiences the number is 602-368-3776 on life 360 with tim jacobs remind us who what what was the name of the book that that uh, todd burpo wrote
1: it was called Heaven is for Real, A Little Boy's Astounding Story of His Trip to Heaven and Back.
0: Now, was that the one they made into the movie?
1: I assume so, yeah. I haven't okay. seen the movie, okay. so I don't know.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: because... John Piper's book was 90 Minutes in Heaven, and then a book that's been on the New York Times bestseller list for a long time. Not by a Christian, but uh, it's even Alexander's Proof of Heaven. Those would be the three most recent books on this genre.
0: Right, right. and And— what you and it's funny because you talk about this genre and how it had an evolution in it in the sense that for a while it was just people who saw the light, so to speak, and right. had these straight light
1: at the end of a tunnel. Yes, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: and then it and then it sort of focused into now they're actually Christians who are who are talking specific details about going to heaven, and that's really kind of what seemed to concern you to go. Wait a second, we better take a, a closer look at this.
1: Right. Because some their accounts, to be frank, don't often line up with biblical truth as we understand it. So yes. how do we how do we uh, process that? If we, after talking to them, we suspect that something genuine and real happened to them, and that was one of the things I was trying to. How do we parse that out? How do we understand what happened to them? And what can we take from that? That's uh, helpful. And what can we just either dismiss or what can we put aside is just mystery. We won't know until we actually meet Jesus
0: face-to-face. Yeah, and, and the thing what I appreciated about your article was, because where I come from, I'm kind of a skeptic at heart about a lot of things. And to be honest with you, when I look at near-death experiences in general, they all seem to point to universalism. So it's, uh, they always, it's like somebody has this tragic experience. They're in a car wreck or they're on a gurney, and they look down at themselves, but they all seem to say, well, I saw this bright light— And I saw this figure and they're all rushing to tell you about how all roads lead to the same place. So I'm thinking, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, basically it's like, I expect to die. And the first person I'm going to see is my cultural anthropology professor, you know, wearing a tie dye t-shirt, smoking a bong with a bunch of leprechauns in a drum circle and saying, all roads lead to the same place. Don't worry. You're okay. Go back and enjoy your life. And I feel like, why are they so adamant about presenting that message when they come back?
1: Well, actually, more to be more specific, generally the message they have in common, except for a few exceptions, is that they are greeted uh, either by a being or they are in an atmosphere in which you're, it, it's permeated by utter and complete love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. So then they extrapolate from that that... Uh, everybody's eternal destiny is to be with God. Now, a couple things to keep in mind in terms of this thing. First of all, uh, it is true that people of different religions and different denominations have experiences that seem to accord with their religious culture. And at one level, that could indicate that it is something going on in the brain that's just been manufactured. Or it could mean that that's the frame of reference in which they're trying to process this extraordinary experience, and the only categories they have to talk about it are mm. the categories that they've learned in their lives. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of, I can go either way on that, but I think it's only fair to open that up as a possibility. Second thing, we don't know actually what the experience is that they've had. That is to say, they talk about it as heaven, or they say it's heavenly, but the fact of the matter is... uh. I don't know if that was heaven or not. Is that the chamber? Is that an experience that ha- happens before the judgment?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, maybe, maybe everyone does um, receive that sort of uh, a sense of God's absolute and unconditional love before they enter into a, a period of judgment, and that after they really die. In other words, we just don't know what. If, so what I'm saying, I guess, what I what I take away from that is we do, as Christians, believe that God's love is pervades the universe, is mm-hmm. available to everyone, and mm-hmm. is unconditional. And it's, and it's because Christ died for us while we were sinners; He was reconciling the world to us, not counting our trespasses against them. And if people have that experience, as far as that goes, I have to say, as a Christian, well, yeah, that's that's what God is like, exactly. Yeah. Now. There's a lot of other uh, truths that we know that are associated with that that have not been revealed to these people at this point. But that one truth, I can at least say, okay, yeah, that's true. I preach that all the time. God is love, unconditional love.
0: We've
1: experienced that. That's a wonderful thing. But there's other things that are involved in having a relationship with that God of love, and that's... uh, uh, asking for forgiveness, uh, leading a life according to Christ's commands, because those are the way; those are the wisest way to live, et cetera, et cetera.
0: You, yeah, you, in uh, well, one of the other things that, uh, when as a as a pastor, as I've preached in my church about this, I'm really huge on on Randy Alcorn's book Heaven. I think that next to the Bible. Uh, his work on his book just simply called heaven is i think the most instructive thing because there's extrapolation but it's extrapolation based on scripture not based on some kind of firsthand testimony but what he does what he does say in that book which i found very interesting was that while oftentimes what is popularized in the media as people having these near-death experiences and seeing a light and seeing a figure and being surrounded by warmth, he says that there are other people who say the exact opposite, that they experience fear and darkness and a horrible sense of evil, and and they supposedly come back to Earth and they are scared out of their mind. And I just found that to be an interesting contrast to what I think often is the popular idea of what a near-death experience is.
1: Yes, no, that I, I agree with him on that. I think it's a minority experience, but I think the literature suggests it is a real one for some people, indeed. Yeah.
0: And and the other part about your article that's really important that I thought was was very interesting was you raised the whole issue of the fascination that we have with disembodiment and the basically what happens right when we die. And of course, we everybody wants to know because there is that, in fact, my, my daughter, she asked me, she says, well, I know when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but what happens, like, right when I die. Like, where do I go? What do I do? She wants to get so specific with it. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's what we want to know. But you you raise a really interesting issue, and that is there are Christian writers and thinkers out there who say, wait a second, apart from bodily resurrection, we don't really have a whole lot that speaks to the existence of the immateriality of the soul, that, that we really are in many ways tied to our bodies, which is why the resurrection is so important.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a division of thought on that in the, in the, among theologians now, whether, in fact, we have a soul at all, or whether, we, whether when we die, we really do die, and when we awake, we awake with our new bodies, our resurrected bodies. Uh, and, of course, like sleep, that will seem instantaneous, mm-hmm. uh, having died and then being raised to the new life. But it does seem that Scripture does talk about an intermediate state. Paul talks about he can be either with the Philippians or he can be with Christ if he were to die. Right. Um Paul talks about, he also has an experience of going up to the seventh heaven. So there does seem to be a reality before the new heaven and the earth when we will enjoy life with resurrected bodies. And uh, even N.T. Wright, who's a very strong, he's a New Testament scholar, who's a mm-hmm. very strong advocate of the new heaven and the earth and resurrected bodies, a very tangible existence in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he doesn't like to emphasize uh, life after death. He likes to talk about life after life after death. He, that's where mm. he puts his emphasis. But he doesn't deny the fact that there may be is likely to be this intermediate state. Right. We have some sort of consciousness. We're able to commune with Christ, maybe with other other believers who have died and gone to heaven. I don't know. You know. I, obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about. No, but but, but, but there you're are right hints in scripture that suggest that this is the case
0: right and and you have of course jesus says to the thief on the cross today you'll be with me in paradise and there is that implication because i think the idea of soul sleep i don't think is biblical and i think the idea of basically ceasing to exist for a period of time is rather frightening to people even if you can say well it's kind of like going to sleep and then waking up the next morning i don't think most people like to think of that. Six oh two three, six, eight, three, seven, seven, six. I'm talking with Mark Golly, editor of Christianity Today, ChristianityToday.com. If you are not a subscriber, if you have not gone to that website, you need to do that. They have excellent reporting, excellent features, all kinds of stuff that I think will really help you and engage your thought, especially when it comes to Christianity. If you have a question for Mark, please call us. 602-368-3776. You and you— um, you write in your article, you distinguish uh, e- 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 Eben Alexander, who is not a Christian, but right. he he makes a. Fa- I'm going to read his quote that you you quoted him. I'm going to read this. It is a fascinating quote. He yeah, yeah. he writes this, and I quote: One of the biggest mistakes people make when they think about God, or Allah, or Vishnu, or Jehovah, or whatever you choose to call that. Source, capital S, source of absolute power, that creator that used the unit that rules the universe is to imagine Ohm. Now Om is who he calls God, right? Ohm, just to imagine Om yeah. as impersonal. So he's saying one of the mistakes people make, and this guy's not a Christian, is to imagine that God is impersonal. He goes on to say, Yes, God is behind the numbers. The perfection of the universe that science measures and struggles to understand, but again paradoxically, Om um is human as well, even more human than you and I are. Om, um, <laughs> crazy name. Om um, understands and sympathizes with our human situation more profoundly and personally than we can even imagine. That is that is amazing to me that he would write that.
1: Yeah. It's amazing to me he would write that, because uh, before he had this experience, he was at least a nominal Episcopalian, and you would have thought he would have put two and two together and, and been able to connect that to the Incarnation in some way, that God, yeah, is this, is the, the mystery, you know, the Christian teaching on God is this it's this mystery. He's this absolute being who is completely different than us, and he's, this, he's, a hum- he's become a human being in Jesus Christ, so he understands us at a level better than we understand ourselves, because he's he was the truly human person. So the fact that he—see, that's what makes me uh, sometimes wonder if something real happened to these people, because he describes an experience that we have been theologically teaching for 2,000 years, mm-hmm. and it makes me think, okay, something happened to even Dr. Alexander, who's a neuroscientist, that was real. All of it, I don't know. Most of it, maybe. But the, that part, I go— that makes perfect sense to me that God would be both have both
0: those attributes. <laughs> Absolutely, and and it is. It's like how do you miss that? How do you make such a powerful case for the person of Jesus? Uh, the love of God being expressed as a person, how personal that can be, and maybe it could just be that in in that sense. Uh, religion, quote unquote, has has gotten in the way, so where he he can't somehow reconcile that experience with whatever Christian religious experience he may have had, because the two are so far apart. One would perhaps have been very impersonal to him, or not very relevant to his life. And of course, this experience was was very strong and personal. But but that that being said, you know, are are we to expect as, as these accounts continue to come out here and there? What what should the average Christian do when they see these things come out on the shelves, when they see it available online, and maybe there's subsequent movies made about these topics? How can Christians kind of make sure that they're wise when it comes to these sort of things?
1: Well, one is, if they're not interested in them, don't worry about it. I mean, basically, one of the things I said in the article is, if, if, I, if it, so I was to be shown tomorrow that every one of these experiences was fabricated, my faith wouldn't change one iota because my faith is not in these experiences. My faith is in Jesus Christ who died and rose for me. So that's the kind of the solid rock but I just find this stuff interesting. So if you find it interesting, I go ahead and read them. But always uh you know, read them critically, like like you would I say at a historical document. Is this person seem reliable? Does this does this seem a sensible and sane account of what happened? And then of course uh you you always measure everything so happens to someone against the teaching of scripture and there. so i can read these accounts and go uh large parts of it i go that makes a lot of sense to me based on what i know about the bible and then there's other parts that i hear them talking and i go yeah that i don't know that doesn't seem to click too well so um yeah, yeah. if you're interested of course uh, just read them critically and uh, uh take away what you can from them what you're not i mean my my wife and i just happen to I happen to take some of these seriously and think there's something real going on. My wife's a sheer skeptic. She doesn't believe <laughs> any of these
0: uh, mm-hmm. accounts
1: at all, and that's fine. We we live happily together with that disagreement.
0: <laughs> right, and, and it, because you seem to hold these, you, even still with this curiosity, and I think it's perfectly natural to have the curiosity, you still hold it. You have to hold it loosely because— if you place this at the center, if you place somebody else's experience as as the central core of what your faith is, and then and it turns out like it did uh, with this uh, whatever his name, with Malarkey, Dot so, Burpo, yeah, yeah, and Burpo, um, you know the boy who came back from heaven. By the way, I mean, with with that story, do you so do you think there was there anything about that that perhaps was was real? um anything at all in the boy that came back from heaven that was real or was the whole thing just a invention
1: um yeah I, I you know i just haven't studied it close enough but it it is hard to believe that someone would make this up out of from scratch yeah so there maybe the boy did have some sort of experience that was the father just extrapolated and used his creative powers to create yeah, yeah. The, the story he told just struck me as just a little too neat and a little too convenient points for it, for it to be real.
0: Right, and that's uh, that's an important part of in kind of investigative journalism as well, right? If it lines up too closely, that maybe means yeah. they've thought through all the contingencies and – and uh, yeah, yeah. right? But, but,
1: the reality is a little messier, and things always don't fit together nicely, things that really happen to people. <laughs> and we have to learn to live with a certain amount of mystery in this world and trust. Yes, that Christ is working in and through these, uh, through people, through us, through our churches. Well, I mean, what what in a local church makes a whole lot of sense some days?
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: You're a pastor. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. It, well, it's messy. It's messy, and you're right. I think people that when it when it's too neat for everybody, or if people expect it to be all put together nicely, but but it is true though. I think a lot of people in the Christian community, sadly, I mean, they do want. They do want these, they want these things to be true. They want hope. And and maybe some of these things are born out of the fact that that they really aren't getting some of these questions answered. I mean, you talk about that too. Even the idea of resurrection is wonderful, but there's a sense in which, you know, we talk about universal justice and peace, but these things are very abstract and and they're not they're not personal. They they go, okay, yeah, someday I'm gonna live on this new earth, but I don't really know what it's gonna be like. And that doesn't seem to solve the the core issue of my problem now which is a great sense of fear about what's going to happen and I think that's maybe yeah where...
1: this, this, that's, a, that's a really good point I think this calls on uh, preachers like you and teachers like me to work maybe a little harder to help us understand the, the really reliable witness and the person whose word we can trust that there really is uh, an experience of an absolutely loving uh, God that awaits us on the other side of death of course it's Jesus Christ right and yet uh, maybe it's the way we talk about Christ that makes him seem so distant and not, not someone we can identify with, where we, we read the story of a young boy. For some reason, we really identify with it. Well, the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, Jesus Christ was truly human, as human as this boy or uh, Don Piper or anyone else, and he's more reliable than they are in terms of his word. So yep. I think one of our tasks as preachers and teachers is just to help people set their confidence on the on the thing that actually is trustworthy, and that's Jesus Christ. His words, His death, His resurrection, that's what's really trustworthy. Yep. These are interesting, they're edifying in some ways, Mm -hmm. but what's really solid, what we can really put our weight on, is Mm -hmm. is our our Lord Jesus.
0: Absolutely. So Mark Golly, tell me, what are you working on now? You have any books coming up?
1: I have... uh... No, nothing in the offing immediately. I've written a biography of uh, a popular biography of Karl Barth, that I'm uh, the theologian Karl Barth that I'm revising. Uh, more and more theolo- evangelical theologians have been influenced by him, and I just felt like uh, uh, the general public ought to have a better understanding of who he is, where we as evangelicals can uh, be grateful to him, mm-hmm. and where we can where we can still have some questions, and where we can admire it him as a great uh hero of the faith
0: awesome he was in
1: in many ways like bonhoeffer he stood up to hitler's Mm -hmm. uh madness he Mm -hmm. didn't get killed for it but he got uh exiled from his from his from germany for it he uh he had other moments where he showed great courage as well
0: well that's awesome listen mark golly thank you so much for being the, our guest here on Life 360 with Tim Jacobs. Hey, can I get you on again sometime? Can we talk about something else some other time? Not a problem. Sounds good. That'd be so great, Mark Golly, editor of Christianity Today, and um, just a very wise word here on the whole subject of near-death experiences. So make sure you go to markgolly.com, and we will uh, we will be right back with Ryan Bell on Life 360 with Tim Jacobs. to talk for a moment to my listeners in phoenix you know if you're like me you're trying to stay active you're trying to stay strong you want to beat back the hands of time and as rod stewart once said stay forever young but in the process of doing all that you're going to bang yourself up a little bit you know, you're not going to fall off your mountain bike you know throw too much weight over your head hey you may even pull a muscle reaching for the nachos at the super bowl party but that's why you need to talk to my friends at cairo fit A ChiroFit is a full-service chiropractic physical therapy massage center, and they have locations around the valley. They have one in Buckeye, one in Tempe, Peoria, and they are opening up one very soon in Goodyear. So you want to give them a call at 623-773-2000. That's 623-773-2000. And go in there and get fixed up because we can talk all day about how to deal with your spiritual health, but you got to take care of your physical health too as you're out there loving life, loving the body God gave you. Work hard and it'll get beat up once in a while. But the folks over at ChiroFit can help you fix it. So give them a call. Again, 623-773-2000. Minutes, 32 minutes after the hour. And this is Life 360 with Tim Jacobs. The number is 602-368-3776. By the way, I want to let you know, you can listen to any previous show, any previous Life 360 with Tim Jacobs, if you simply go to timjacobslive.com. Go over there, and you will see all of our shows. You can download them. You can share them and let people know about the show. And I'm excited because we're moving, we've moved here to an hour, and the show is growing. If you want to email me as well, you can email me at tim at compasschurch, church, A-Z, C-O-M-P-A-S-S church A-Z.com, and I'd love to hear from you. So send me an email. Just say, hey, I'm listening to the show. If you have a question, you have a comment, I respond to all of my emails. Well, we are shifting gears now. And I am delighted to have as our my next guest here uh, the very interesting Ryan Bell. Ryan was has somebody who has made a lot of news lately as he has proclaimed the fact that at one point he was a a Christian, a pastor, and through a lot of thought and reflection and experimentation with his own uh, thoughts and, and his beliefs, he has. Uh, done an experiment where he said, you know what? I'm going to try to live like an atheist, and he now is someone who says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be now an atheist, and so I am very privileged to have with me on the line Ryan Bell. Ryan, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing real well. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so grateful that you came on the show. And if people want to know more about you, where can they find out more about you?
2: Well, I have a—the main way is through my my blog, which is yearswithoutgod.com. Okay. And we're also working on uh, wrapping up a documentary that a couple of uh, individuals have been filming about the year, and that's YearWithoutGodFilm.com.
0: Okay, so YearWithoutGod.com and then YearWithoutGodFilm.com. And so, I, Ryan, I originally read about you in an article on the Huffington Post. I was just kind of going through that one day and, and found you there. And, but you've been on NPR, you've been on CNN, um, you've, been, you've written on the Patheos blog, and you were a pastor who did a little experiment. And give us a brief synopsis of what that experiment was.
1: Yeah,
2: so I came to the end of uh, 2013 and had been through quite an experience, a variety of experiences in my life that led me to the place where I seriously doubted Um, that God existed, and part of that was just years of studying the Bible and going to seminary, earning two degrees in theology. Um, Part of that was being in ministry and talking to people and experiencing um, what happens when people try to believe, pray, what happens when people pray, what doesn't happen, and also just in my own life feeling like uh, the thing that made the most sense to me at that juncture was that God didn't exist that mm-hmm. it was um, a story uh, perhaps a useful story but that there was nothing behind it um, and so at the beginning of 2014 uh, I just started out on this experiment so I, you know, I it's important to make clear especially for your audience that it wasn't like I just was bored one day and just was like oh, I'll just give up my Christian faith was oh, mm-hmm. fun it, it was really I had come to the brink of unbelief and I and I didn't want to just step over the line without reflection, without thought. I really wanted to, to give it a year at least to stay in the question, to stay in that sort of unknown where I could uh, spend time learning and, and talking to people and reading books and, and thinking.
0: So, since you've been, since you've kind of come out with this conclusion that God does not exist, obviously, you know, it moves you from from one camp into another. Have you? Uh, have you been beat up pretty bad by the Christian community? How has that gone for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a mixed bag, you know, as you, as you would probably expect. Um, I have a lot of friends, of course, that are Christians. Many of my church members from before are still good friends, and mm-hmm. um, and they're, they've been unequivocally supportive and, and great people. Um, I think, though, the greater distance uh, between me and actually knowing the other person, the, the easier it is for there to be... Hostility, so there there have been some pretty nasty things said. Um, you know, as recently as this morning, a guy who used to come to my church once in a while really, you know, uh, you know pe- people hear what they don't really hear what you say, and then they amplify it by ten times and throw it out of proportion, and so that's the kind of you know discourse we have on the internet. But right. uh, you know, so it's been it's been kind of a mix. You know, you're you're be the only the second uh, Christian radio show that's uh, had me on, so. I don't know. Um, yeah. I wish more Christians would engage with the topic.
0: Well, and and I only ask that because I, I hope you know right out of the gate my purpose is not not to come after you. More than anything else, I just want to understand and just want to understand what your thoughts were, and as well as if people want to call in and ask you questions. Um, you, and you know by making this public, you know you've opened yourself up to a lot of questions. Because it's, it's hard. People take their faith very seriously. And uh-huh. and when they see someone like you who was in ministry, who studied theology, it, it kind of tweaks them a little bit. Uh, 602-368-3776 if you have a question for Ryan Bell. The first question I have for you, though, is when you did this experiment, how did your life change? When you said, I'm going to do a year without God— what what was different? I mean, for example, what did that involve for you to just live like an atheist?
2: You know, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question, and I struggled with it for the first few days, especially. Um, I no longer had a church at that time. I was not a pastor. I wasn't going to church anywhere, so I just kept not going to church. Um, I I think the biggest change is that I, I didn't pray, um, And that was fairly easy to let go of for me, because I was never, um, in in the last several years, I had not been in in the practice of, like, you know, kneeling down and asking God for things um, the way I was raised as an evangelical to do. Um, My my prayer life had turned more to reflection, journaling, um, and, you know, uh, thoughtful reading, meditation, that kind of
0: thing. Okay, see, that's interesting to me. So... So you're saying that your life, even before this experiment, it wasn't so much based on a relationship, it was more based on, on a set of ideas that you were trying to adhere to?
2: Well, no. I mean, my relationship, my, my faith had always been based on a relationship in as much as I knew how to do that or knew what that meant. Um, I mean, my tradition, I come from a Seventh-day Adventist tradition, which, mm-hmm. of course, is diverse in and of itself. There's a diversity of Adventists. But, um, I, my, my yeah, my upbringing was very much about, you know, I remember... One of the Ellen White quotes, one of our founders in the Adventist Church, was, you know, one of the quotes I remember her saying is that prayer is talking to God as you would talk to a friend, you know. So it was very much this kind of very evangelical, heartwarming experience. Adventism in part came out of the Second Great Awakening, the Wesleyan kind of revival movement in America. So we have a lot of that piety uh, as a part of our background. Um, But I think I just, so, so here's an example. Any other friendship or any other actual relationship that I have, I have influence with the person mm-hmm. that I have a relationship with, and they have influence with me. That's mm-hmm. me, like, you know, one of the things about a relationship. And, and I just came to the place where I felt like I had absolutely no influence with God, that God was not present in any tangible, practical way in my life. Uh, that there was no pattern, a discernible pattern to prayer answering or not answering or any of that. It was so. Uh, it was just like nothing was there.
0: So for you then, it was a gradual process because, I guess, as I as I think about what you, the experience that you, the journey you set yourself on, to me, I, my first thought was it would kind of feel like a death. I mean, you would have. For example, as you said, you know, you pray, so there, there's a relationship where there's a sense where you see a, a sunset or a sunrise, and you acknowledge mm-hmm. that there's a person there, Or and, and and in this sense, it's almost like, well, you know, when you break up with your girlfriend or something, and it's like you see something, or you want to text her and say, oh, this is really awesome. Oh, wait, we don't talk anymore. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, it was like a death. It definitely had that quality to it. There was also a sense of freedom about it, like, I think what that came from, I used, call it sort of a about my life so as i stepped back from my faith I, I came to the realization you know that this is the only life i have the one i have right now and i so my appreciation for my current life really elevated uh for me but there was also a sense of loss there was a sense of um losing a friend as you say or you know a significant other i mean i remember hearing this song which is a break
0: Because in the, well, because as if, if to be a Christian and, and to look at the, the Bible, you look at Psalms and here's David pouring his heart out to God and he's saying, you have searched me, you know me, you know, the deepest parts about me. And there's this intimate sense of fellowship. And as I, as I go out into battle and as I deal with the challenges of life, I know you're with me. Ryan Bell, did, did you know God was with you or, and, and then you said, no, I know God's not with me. Or was that always in doubt for you? I mean, there were
2: definitely times where I felt God being with me, uh, no question about it. Uh, but as time progressed, I didn't have that same level of of confidence. Um, but I always preached it anyway. Like I always taught. I, it was almost like you know the role of faith is sort of like you know we say sometimes like our our ideas influence our behavior, but also sometimes our behavior influences influences our ideas. And there's a kind of "fake it till you make it" kind of ad you know kind of adage you know that. That if you
3: you can live into a
2: belief uh, rather just than just out of a belief, and so I just I just kept kept on keeping on. You know that God is with us, and that the great patriarchs and matriarchs of the Bible also felt the absence of God, and when they did, they pressed on in spite of that absence. Mm-hmm. And you know I remember even telling my congregation that the feeling of God's absence is actually the evidence of His presence. You know and. Now I think back on that, and I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't even know, like, how I would quantify that for someone or or explain it to them if they asked me.
0: But see, I I guess I would say that 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 statement is, I think, profound because I think people do go through times. uh, I think it's a very real experience and maybe something that many Christians don't want to acknowledge, as sometimes they do feel. We talk about the dark night of the soul, but, but, you know, in C.S. Lewis— uh, C.S. Lewis said one time that if the whole universe has no meaning, we should have never found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there was no light in the universe, therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. And the idea being that you, you sense there's an absence there, and that, that almost does say that there. I was— I need something, and I need something that I'm not finding right now. But it doesn't mean that it's not there. So I guess my, my, but my thought to you though is, or my question to you though is, really, would you would say though that that regardless, you you still were the one that walked away from God? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's,
2: it's, these metaphors are tough. Uh, you know, walking away. Yeah, uh, it's more like it's more like um, corresponding. With your dad, your, your mom told you was overseas on for work, and you just never met him, and, and then one day you just realize he's there's no dad. She was just telling you this to comfort you all along, you know, but you really believed there was a dad that you were writing these letters to, but nobody was really getting these letters, and it's, it feels more like that. It feels more like waking up to the reality that there isn't a God rather than screw you, I'm turning around and walking away from you kind of thing, which would be more of a like a rebellious type of thing where you'd say I don't care whether there's a god or not I'm not into it anymore.
3: But like, yeah I really want,
2: I want there to be a god. I would love for there to be a god in the way that I
0: was taught that there was. But yet Ryan that even in that metaphor the challenge is that in that metaphor there still was a dad even if it wasn't the dad that was presented to you. You just, do you yeah, see what I'm yeah. saying? I mean,
2: maybe yeah, I guess if he died or, or something like that. But there's there's like an illusion that I'm going to meet this guy one day. He's coming home, and I'm going to meet him, and I, you know, I'm just keeping his relationship going. But I'm keeping a relationship going with fiction.
0: But where does that desire come from?
2: Well, I mean, I think that we we all have uh, a human longing to connect and build community and, and to uh, make meaning out of our world. I mean, it's part of what it means to be conscious. Uh, as human beings, to be sentient creatures that have feelings and emotions, and um, and I, I, you know, I personally think that that we evolved to be this way, um, and it's what enabled us, as not the most powerful creatures in nature, uh, to survive against the odds because we were able to cooperate with one another, learn from each other, and build communities that were um, that were sustainable in that way. And I, you know, so I don't. I don't find it necessary to deposit a God and necessarily think that, that, there, in order to, that in order to have a sense of meaning or value or purpose in life, there needs to be this ultimate source.
0: Well, Ryan Bell, we're talking with Ryan Bell, um, yearwithoutgod.com, and the number is 602-368-3776 on Life 360 with Tim Jacobs. Ryan, we have a caller on the line. you, uh, you up for taking some calls? Sure, absolutely. Uh, this is Frederick calling from Phoenix. Frederick, you have a question for Ryan Bell.
3: Um, I don't really have a question. I just have more of a comment. I've been listening to your your show since you came on. Um, my first comment I want to make is um, as I was listening to the conversation, it kind of made me think about um Thomas, Jesus' the disciple, mm-hmm. and um he didn't believe that you know Jesus had resurrected, and so all his disciples came to him. You guys pretty much know the story. But anyway, make a long story short, Jesus came through and he came to him and he says, you know, here I am. Here's my hand. Here's my side. Um, but he said, Jesus said, blessed are those that, um, that have not seen, that believe. That's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing is, is that God is with. And um, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses uh, 3, and the New Living uh, Translation, it says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see do not come from anything that can be seen. So we know that God exists. Okay. Um, I think what it more is it right now is just the season that you're in, a, a tough time that you're going in. It possibly maybe could be the sin. You know, it might be some present sin or something that hasn't, been dealt with over the years because okay. I've kind of I've kind of doubted that too. I don't know how much time I really have. I know it's really short, but right.
0: um, well, Frederick, hang on a second. So you brought up a couple of good points, Ryan Bell. How do you respond to that?
3: Um, yeah, I mean,
2: I think Thomas is a is an interesting case. I mean, of course, we're talking about the story of the resurrection, and um, and I think you know, again, we're getting into like a lot of you know yeah. of biblical criticism and that kind of thing. But I think. Uh, you know, the story is told to bolster the faith of people who might not have believed. Because what happens is, if, you know, if Jesus is raised from the dead, and then only a certain generation, one generation, gets to actually experience that, and ever ever after that, the, the followers of Jesus don't have the privilege of seeing the resurrected body of Jesus, so they must be taught to believe without seeing. And so Thomas becomes this metaphor, this example of those who believe without having the physical evidence, but I think Thomas is right to ask for that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, if, if you went to the doctor with your child and, had, and there was an illness and the doctor said, you know, take this pill. And he said, you know, what is this pill going to do to my daughter? And and they said, well, just trust me, I can't tell you, blessed are those who who believe without seeing or without reading the prescription. You know, it's like, no, I want to see what it is. I want to know what it is. I want to be in charge of right. that Sort of cognitive realm of my
0: life. Right. Frederick, thank you so much for the call. And I think you bring... up Frederick brings up something uh, important and that is that is that aspect of Thomas. And I think I think Ryan Bell I think that that absolutely we should be able in fact in the in the scriptures in Isaiah it says come let us reason together. What then so you cuz you go from you in essence go from something See, this is one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, and I got—I gotta be honest with you—I have like t- like eight more minutes, and I wish I had another hour with you because I've really <laughs> enjoyed our conversation. I want you to know that. But yeah, it's but, good. But I—I I, uh, I, one of the main questions that I wanted to ask you is: it's one thing to go from from being a theist to an atheist, meaning you know, if you believe that somebody lit the fuse, so to speak, and now well, I, I don't believe anybody did. But you went from a Christian to an atheist, and and meaning there's a lot that would have to be unwound, not only about God, but about you, because Christianity is not an ethnic group. It's not something you're born into. It's something you have to intellectually and spiritually assent to. You have to embrace the concept of sin and embrace the concept of forgiveness and God's love and God's grace, and then the hope of a future resurrection and a heaven that is that is that it is somewhat... The, the arrival of justice and, and bringing meaning to the earth. You have to unwind all of that. How do you do that? How, I mean, how did... How, I guess that's the hard thing for me, is I can understand a person that says, well, I believe in this philosophy that there's a, a watchmaker, so to speak. Well, now there's not. But you had to unwind so much. Did Did you actually do that, or where are you at on that?
2: Well, I mean, I think it comes unwound somewhat gradually, and for me it did, at least. And I think what I... What I mean by that, I mean, and let me let me tell you a story. So I, I could probably answer this that way. When I, you're right. We do have to mentally attend and take. You know, we don't aren't born being Christians. We're we're born sort of tabula rasa, if you will, and and we learn it. But I learned it in my childhood, where I don't have my adult reasoning faculties, and I just accepted Christianity as given to me by my, my parents. And then I went to school, and it was reinforced. And then I went to college, and it was further reinforced. And then I became a pastor. And then, at some point, I start realizing that, well, maybe the Earth isn't 1,000 years old. That doesn't seem to make sense of all the other evidence, and so, you know, how do we account for these things? And so, you know, you start to expand your view of God. Well, is belief in God really only compatible with the young Earth, or can there be an older Earth? And, you know, you start making these accommodations, and, you know, what about people that the Bible condemns like homosexuals? You know, they seem like wonderful people to me. Like, why would God reject them? And uh, so, you know, these things begin to happen, and I remember when I was a pastor in Pennsylvania, more than more than 10 years ago, I was driving down the road, and I saw one of these churches with a movable lettering sign. Mm-hmm. And to anyone listening, like, just be careful with those movable lettering signs, I tell you, because I saw this sign, it was a really hot summer day in Philadelphia, and it said, uh, the sign said, you think it's hot out here? Yeah. And, you know, the yeah. implication is, yep. you know, Boy, hell's going to be even hotter. Yep. And I drove by that sign and I thought, do they really think that someone is going to stop their car and say, you know what? I'm going to go to church this Sunday yep. because I saw that sign. And I thought, you know, I would not easily become a Christian if I weren't one already. No, and i would not you, be an adult convert.
0: Right. And, and, you know, Ryan, and I'm sure that as a pastor and uh, you were once a pastor, you understand that world. And you, I know, and you, you live in Los Angeles, right? I do, and that's where I'm originally from, from San Fernando Valley, Um, and uh, so I lived there many years. And and in ministry myself, um, I understand that, and we we just we just that is so not what the true gospel is, what the true scripture is. The truth is there is hope for everyone, and that's that's what we believe and teach. And unfortunately, it's so misrepresented, and and uh, so you you see these things. We only have a few minutes left. This is the the final question I really want to ask you is this. Would, now that you're an atheist, and I, and I did, and I watched your, um, your interview with, with Michael Shermer that you, that you released recently, and I thought that was an a uh, very interesting interview and a very interesting interchange on that, and I wish we had another hour to talk about that because that was raised a lot of issues. But the question yeah. I want to ask you is this, and I, I mean this completely respectfully, so please take it that way. If Now that you're an atheist, would you ever consider in five or six or eight years down the line would you ever consider reversing the experiment and, and getting a website called yeah. Year With God and getting some people to kind of help you and and get out there and say, you know what, I'm gonna live every single day of my life as though everything, every page of this of the Bible is true, that it is inspired by God, that, that everything that happens to me, the spirit of God is moving in and around me. And I'm just gonna believe that and act as though it it is down to the very fiber of my being. And I'm gonna do that really, really hard for an entire year, would that be an experiment that you would ever do in the reverse now that you have become an atheist? Yeah, I, I,
2: you know, I, I never want to rule anything out because I think that's when we stop learning. And so um, I'm always open to learning something new that contradicts a, th- a thought or an idea that I have now. You know, but, but really what I think about that experiment is that I did that for 30 years of my life. And to be fair, I did, I wasn't giving it that diligent effort for all of those 30 years, but probably at least 10 or 15 of those years, I was really intently trying to make those pieces fit together and to try to embrace all the pages of the Bible, as you say, and believe them and to believe that the Spirit of God is moving. It's much easier for me to believe that there's a Spirit moving and connecting all of us in some way than I can believe that the Bible is, is literally true. Um, okay. there's too many problems there for me. But, but yeah, I never want to rule out uh, any process by which I could learn something new. Um, but I also want to, you know, highlight again that I, I have been studying the Bible and, and leading churches and right. honestly seriously working Ryan, on my own... Ryan, unfortunately...
0: Ryan, listen, it's unfortunately it's radio. We're out of time. I want to give you all That's the all time right. I possibly could. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show. And um, I'd love to have you on again at some point. And uh, again, everyone, Ryan Bell, a yearwithoutgod.com. If you have other questions, please email me. Otherwise, we will see you next Tuesday, 4 o'clock, Life 360. Until then, uh, keep believing, keep the faith, and be strong. And we will see you next time. God bless.